So I've got nine sermons, but I promise you they're no more than ten minutes each. Okay, what time's lunch? I want for us to look at reasons, excuses that people make for not coming to church. Excuses that they make and what we perhaps are doing wrong that we could do something about it. Scattered around the church are nine envelopes representing our nine sermons. And they're going to be read out by different members of the congregation during our service. And so for our first excuse, could I please have envelope number one read out? You can open it now. It's, like, it's, it's exciting, isn't it? What's in here? If you can hear, listen very carefully. <laughs> I don't wash because I was made to wash as a child. That's an excuse that people come out with for not going to church. I don't go to church because I was made to go to church as a child. My parents made me go. And so often we find within the church that parents will often send, or they used to, not quite so much these days, they would send their children to church, but not set the example themselves. How many parents would go without washing. I think it was Queen Victoria who used to famously bath once a year, whether she needed one or not. I understand she wasn't too keen on the bath. I think that's a true story, or maybe it's a bit apocryphal, I'm not quite sure. But it certainly wasn't very often. But we wouldn't dare to say to our children, don't go out without washing. We would set them the example by washing ourselves. One of our granddaughters belongs to the brownies, And she was taught how to wash her hands after going to the toilet. She gave it up after a while because what she was told to do took five minutes. Five minutes to wash your hands after going to the toilet. But I wonder if as a church sometimes we don't make it so that the children want to be here. And maybe we need to look at that. That was envelope number one. You see, it wasn't a long sermon, was it? Could I now have envelope number two, please? Nice big voice if you've got one. Hypocrites. That's the one. People who wash are hypocrites, they think they are cleaner than everyone else. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He could not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. 
I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. How many times, I wonder, have people looked at us and thought, oh, because they go to church on a Sunday, they think they're better than I am. A friend was walking past a man doing his garden. And the man who was doing his garden said to him, it was on a Sunday, and my friend was on his way to church, and the man in the garden said, oh, I suppose that uh, you think I shouldn't be gardening on a Sunday, Brian? And Brian said, no, I don't think that, but I think I've got something better to do. And maybe that's how we need to encourage people. Not by being holier than thou and sanctimonious. I've told this story before, forgive me. Forgive me because I know, I know I've told it before, but I'm going to tell you again. A church in West Cornwall had had new people come into the church because of a Cliff College mission. At the end of the mission, they had a meeting. And during this stewards meeting, the leaders of the church, the minister said, isn't it wonderful to see these new people coming into church? Oh, yes, mister, said one of the Cornishmen. He was truly Cornish, one of the senior stewards. Yes, mister, but us like it best when there's only we. Us like it best when there's only we. We've got to be so careful, haven't we, that we don't become a holy huddle, that people feel we're almost untouchable on a Sunday. They might speak to us on a Monday, but on a Sunday they go to church. We've got to be careful that we don't put ourselves forward as being better than anyone else, because we're not. The only difference between those of us that come and those that don't need or seem to feel the need to come is that we've allowed Jesus to come into our lives. That's the big difference in our lives. Nothing else and all the glory should be his. I don't wash because people who wash are hypocrites. They think they're better than everybody else. We're going to sing a song. Have I given you enough warning there? Nearly. We're going to sing a song. Jesus, take me as I am. And that's how we should take other people and welcome them when they come even if they're totally different to us, even if their approach to God is different, let's welcome them in if they worship God as we do. Could we have envelope number three, please? Thank you, Pat. I don't know why I sealed them, really. I didn't trust you not to look beforehand, I think. I don't wash because there are so many kinds of soap, I don't know which one to choose. Come in the middle. We could do with a microphone, I guess. I'm sorry. I didn't think about that. Or even two. Oh. Oh, 
Well, my wife's been practicing with a tulip at home. She should be very good at this. <laughs> my church is a high church. My church is a low church. Uh, my church is above sea level. Uh, beside the altar, we have chalices, chaucibles, candles, and wafers. Besides the Lord's table, we have psalters, robes, and real bread. Oh, beside the piano, we've got a box for the hymn books. <laughs> I find great meaning in ritual and ceremony. I find great meaning in liturgy and exposition. I never know what any of them mean. I read the King James Version of the Bible. It has real beauty. I read the New International Version of the Bible. It has real authority. Hmm. I read the Good News Bible. It's got real pictures. We are rediscovering the charismatic essence of the liturgy of the church. (laughs) We are rediscovering the principles of charismatic renewal in the life of the congregation. Charismatic? Charismatic? I'm not sure, but I think our washing machine's charismatic. (laughs) We celebrate the Eucharist. We share the Lord's Supper. (laughs) We don't know what to call it either. We always finish prayer with a suitable collet. We always finish prayer by saying the grace. Well, we always finish the service in time to watch Grantchester. Next Sunday is Whit Sunday. Next Sunday is the day of Pentecost. I think next Sunday's the fourth, isn't it? I find the Bible reading scheme a great source of meditation. I find the sermons a great deal of spiritual encouragement. Oh, that's good. Because I find the pews a great source of backache. <laughs> Our worship is tastefully enhanced by a combination of talis, bird, and gibbons. <laughs> Our worship is doctrinally <laughs> <laughs> balanced by a combination of Wesley, Watts, and the Redemption Hymnal. Mm. Yes, we're yes, good. yes, our singing is definitely spoiled by a combination of Mrs. Pitts and Mr. Loud. Yeah. We have coffee in the North X after matins. <laughs> we have Brigham share lunches in the hall after services. We have tea in blue cups after everything. Yeah. Uh, the discipline of the daily office uh, frees my spirit to meditate on, on much higher things. Really? The length of the prayers allows me time for personal devotion. Mm. Yeah, my mind tends to wander a bit too. Uh, Christ is the head of our church. Christ is the cornerstone of our church. Oh, what? Christ is the rock on which we build. We share one faith, one one Lord. Mm. But... (laughs) I think uh, our way of doing things is is much more uh, reverent. (laughs) I think our way of doing things is truly biblical. I'm sure there's a lot of prejudice in our church too. Hand it to the gentleman.
Billy Graham once told the story of a little girl who lived on a farm. Pauline's heard the story before. She's probably hoping I haven't told it here before. Again, apologies if I have. But she lived on a farm that grew maize. And as she was growing, she was always told, don't go into the corn. You'll get lost. One day she went missing. Hello. You're not going into the corn, are you? Oh, that's all right. One day she went missing. And they began to search for her. Hello. And as they searched, they became desperate. Until in the end, they began to ring neighbors who farms in those parts of the world are very far apart in the western states of America. And it took them a couple of hours to get there. And by the time they got there, it was getting late afternoon. And they all began to search the outbuildings and everywhere they could do, think of looking. And the only thing in the end they could think of was she must have gone into the corn. And so off they went, rushing into the corn, looking here, there, and everywhere. Until it became too dark to look anymore. The next morning, as they were planning to go out again to search, one of the people who'd been searching said, why don't we hold hands and walk through the corn together so that we know what ground we've covered? And so they reached out and they held hands and they began to walk through the corn and within half an hour, they'd found the little girl. But it was too late. She'd fallen, she'd hit her head And during the night, in the cold night air, she had died. And the father, in tears, weeping, said, Why didn't we hold hands before? Why didn't we hold hands before? And I wonder, as a church, and as churches, here in Cottenham, the same as we are in Histon, do we hold hands with our fellow Christians who belong to a slightly different form of worship to what we enjoy. I wonder if when we get to heaven, we might even declare with that father, I wish we'd held hands before. Because there are so many people lost in our world, and we need to walk through the corn together. I don't wash because there are so many different kinds of soap. I don't know which one to choose. That is a problem for people. The division of the Christian church. I don't know how many hundreds of different denominations there are. Hundreds of different denominations of the Christian church. The devil doesn't need to do much outside the church. He's doing it within. We need to hold hands and walk together. Envelope four, please. I can see the excitement. That's a common thing in churches, isn't it? Oh, it's boring. How many times have you heard young people say, oh, we find the same problem in Histon. We've got a group of young people, delighted to have them, but they don't want to come in at the moment still to the main body of worship because it's boring. Why is it boring? We've got the most exciting news, the most dramatic news, the greatest news, whatever you like to call it that the world has ever known. And yet we so often present it in a way that is 
dodgy and turgid and people just don't connect with the living Jesus. Billy Graham was once asked by a young man who said, Mr. No, not Billy Graham, John Wesley. I must get my, my Christian sorted out. John Wesley was once asked by a young man, Mr. Wesley, when I go to preach, people seem to get fed up after about 10 minutes. And yet when you come out to preach, they'll stay there for an hour and stay listening. Why? Young man, said John Wesley, go home and set yourself on fire for the Lord and they will come to watch you burn. We need to set ourselves on fire for the Lord. That won't be boring when we do that. Then people will come to watch us burn for him. Ron Day, our pastor, sometimes says, are you feeling happy? And he says, if you are, tell your faces. And sometimes, you know, we don't give the right impression of being in church. Envelope number five, please. Easter and Christmas. I'll guarantee you more than double your congregation on Christmas, at Christmas time. If you have a special event, especially. Christmas Eve, we had a good number. Christmas Day, we were packed out. Following Sunday, hmm, about two-thirds full. Why is it that we don't hold on to those people who do wash at Easter and Christmas, who do come to church for special events. How is it we don't hang on to them? I don't know the perfect answer. If I did, I'd be going around the churches and getting you all fired up and filling every pew and every chair. But I think part of it is that we put too much emphasis on the form of worship and the person who's leading and not enough on the fact that we're here to worship God. To make him the center of everything. I nearly chose the song, Jesus, be the center. Jesus, be the center. And if we make him the center of our lives and make him the center of our worship within the church, then I think people will come because they will want what we have got. They need to see in us the beauty of Jesus. Again, another chorus. Let the beauty of Jesus be seen in me. We're going to sing a chorus now that um, some of you may be familiar with because one of the things I think we need to do in order to make Jesus the centre is to read our Bibles. You've got a tune for this, have you? Oh, okay. That's fine. We're going to sing it a cappella. Okay, because I know that, well, I know a tune. When I was a boy, my mother used to think I could sing. And she would stand me up at the front of the church on occasions, and I would sing. I started off being accompanied, but then they realized that the pianist didn't always play the right tune. And so they left me to sing unaccompanied. You can guess who was really out of tune, can't you? But we're going to sing a song called, it's all about reading the Bible. And it helps us. That's part of our making Jesus the center. And here are the words. Anyway, you can have the words, even if you can't. Don't you remain seated for this. 
Does anybody know it, by the way? Yes. A couple of the younger members know it, I can see. The best book to read is the Bible. The best book to read is the Bible. If you read it every day, it will help you on your way. Oh, the best book to read is the Bible. The best book to read is, ah, oh, we've got different words. I'm quite happy to have these words, but I'll sing my other version as well, and we'll come back to that verse in a moment. The best book to read is the Bible. Forget that. The best book to read is the Bible. If you read it once a week, it will help you, so to speak. Oh, the best book to read is the Bible. Forget that one once a year. The best book to read is the Bible. The best book to read is the Bible. If you read it once a year, it won't help you much, I fear. Oh, the best book to read is the Bible. Now this one. The best friend to have is Jesus. The best friend to have is Jesus. He will hear me when I call. He will keep me lest I fall. Oh, the best friend to have is Jesus. We'll leave it there. Thank you. There you go. You've learned some new verses anyway. <laughs> Envelope number six. And we're getting close to the end, don't we? Envelope number six, please. Thank you. Why don't you wash then? I want to know why you don't wash. You look fairly clean to me. friends sitting next to you, are they? Yes, they don't mind what the smell is, yes. I don't wash because none of my friends do. I don't think we understand totally today what peer pressure on young people is like. I grew up in a North Cornish village, a hamlet of about, well a hamlet of about a dozen houses. There was no real peer pressure. The only peer pressure came from deciding which football team you were going to support and which cowboy you liked best. Didn't have anything to do with what trainers I was wearing or what hairstyle I had or who my girlfriend was. Peer pressure on young people today is so strong that we're underestimating it in the church at our peril. The pressure of social media, Facebook, through the internet, Twitter, Snapchat. I don't belong to any of them. I just know the names. I don't really know what they mean. But I know the pressure they're putting on young people. And as parents and as churches, we need to be aware of what those pressures are. But I would say to the young people here this morning, 
a little mnemonic that I used to use with our own children. Don't follow the crowd. Don't do what they do. Just follow Jesus and be like you. Be the person you want to be. People will respect you for it in the end. It might be some tough times. I know I went through a few tough times, but in the end, you'll find that people come to you to ask what it is that makes you different and why you seem to have a different style of life that seems better than theirs. So, don't follow the crowd. Still go on washing, even if your friends don't. Envelope number seven, please. A grandson of ours, he was about 14 at the time, went away to camp. And when he went away to camp, it rained a bit and it got quite muddy. When he came back, the only thing that was dry in his package was his flannel. <laughs> he said, he didn't have the time to wash. Jesus said a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I've just got married so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleyways of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant answered, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. We used to sing a song which says, I cannot come to the party. Don't bother me now. I have married a wife. I have bought me a cow. Some of the very naughty children swapped wife and cow around. But cannot come. I'm too busy. I'm too busy. I haven't got time. You know, we've got wonderful labor-saving devices, and still we don't have time. Time is of essence as far as the kingdom of God is concerned. We need to make sure that we have our services. Perhaps we need to rethink. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. Rethink as to when we hold worship. 
Sunday morning now with young people, so many are caught up with sport and activities. And people so often say, oh, it's the only day I've got with my family. I work six days a week and Sunday is family day. We haven't got time to go to church. We were out the other day with our family, with one of our families, and the youngest, who is um, four, five, is he going on 50, said, why are we wasting our family day going to Van Hague's? Now, if anybody knows who Van Hague's, Van Hague's is a garden center, and she didn't want to go. Why are we wasting our family day going to Van Hague's? I challenge you, if you think you haven't got time, to just keep a diary for a week and see how much time you spend just sitting or watching television or listening to the radio or doing nothing. Think about the time. But as I say, it's a challenge to the church when people say they don't have time. Is it time for us to rethink as to when we hold our worship? And could we have, I think I'm right, the last envelope, please. Envelope number nine. Number eight, I'm sorry, we haven't got to the last one. Envelope number eight. I don't know, because people who make soap are only after young money. <laughs> That's been a criticism of the church, hasn't it, in times past? That's all they want is your money. You watch. When you go to church, they'll send the collection bag around. And don't forget, I haven't forgotten today. Those who are stewards, don't worry. But isn't that an image of the church so often? I've embarrassed my wife on more than one occasion by going to a church door where they were charging to go into the church. And I've said, do I have to pay to get in? I'm afraid so, sir. Then I said, I'm not coming in. They were charging because... They were raising money for the church. And I've always objected to that on a personal level. I do not believe that as a church, we should be asking those outside the church to support us. Every church should support itself. I don't mind paying to go into a church if they're raising money for a charity or for a concert of that kind. I don't mind that. But when it's purely for the church, I think we've got it wrong and we're giving the wrong signal to the people outside. They think we're only after their money. But we're not. We're after their souls. We're after their all. Jesus said, uh, Paul writing in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. I would say to people who don't come to church, no, we're not. God isn't just after your money. He's after your whole being. He wants you to be part of his kingdom and to rejoice in that and to find your own salvation and peace of mind by coming to know him as your savior. And now finally, no, I'm, I'm, I'm determined to get to number nine, but I'm not going to ask you for a moment. I think we've got time. Have we got time to sing this one? Maybe not. We won't sing the next song because you weren't too sure about it here anyway. How many people know the song, All to Jesus I Surrender? I Surrender All. Oh, there are a few. But we've got another nice song to finish anyway. 
I was determined not to go on too long this morning. Envelope number nine, please. The last one. And you're the prize winner, I think. I think you've got the lucky prize. <laughs> oh, maybe not. I don't wash because I'm not really dirty. I may start when I'm older. <laughs> A lady I used to teach with down in Cornwall many years ago would often talk to me about church and spiritual things, but she didn't claim to be a Christian herself. And as well as being a teacher, her husband and herself ran an old folks' home. And she said, I can understand why they would want something like you're talking about. Because, you know, they're getting close to the end of their lives and they want something to look forward to. And her comment was, maybe when I get to their age, I'll think about it as well. My first wife, Judy, had taken a service on the edge of Bodmin Moor, a place that became flooded eventually. Hello again. You're still here. That's amazing. And um, she'd preached on this particular passage of Scripture, and I'll tell you what happened afterwards. I'll read the passage first from 1 Peter. It's only a short piece. From the first letter of Peter, chapter 3. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. And Peter is writing, I beg your pardon, it's not Paul. Peter is talking here about the second coming of Jesus. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. I quoted that to my friend in Cornwall, and my wife had preached on that. And there was a young man in the congregation who had not given his heart to the Lord. On his way home that night, he was involved in a crash and was killed. No one knows the day or the time. And we need to speak urgently to people about their need. If we believe what we say we believe, that Jesus is the only way to God, we need to be more urgent in our approach. That's why Steve's work is so vital. Schools these days have very little input of the Christian faith. They're not allowed to. That's what our governments have done over the last 40 years. They're not allowed to have the same input of Christian facts and faith. Steve's work going into schools as he does through Generate. And our churches need to be more urgent too in taking the gospel message to all. For all, for all, my Savior died. For all, for all was crucified. Now I think this morning there are nine people who have told lies. I don't believe any of you don't wash. But can we look at those things? And you might have substituted wash with food. You know, I don't eat food because I was made to eat as a child. You could substitute, I guess. And rethink what we do as church in order to reach those that don't come.
Let's bring our prayers to God. Let us pray. Father, as we have given our gifts of money, help us to be willing to give all that we are and all that we have in your service. Help us to be willing to reach out to those who do not yet know you. And help us by the power of your spirit to be the people that we should be in the coming week. And to you, Father, be all the glory. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.